Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 395. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode. Our first sponsor spotlight and thanks goes to ASCFG, the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Ralph Thurston and Jerry Ann Sabin of Deadhead Cut Flowers, based in Blackfoot, Idaho. So listen for our conversation at the close of this episode. Last weekend, I spent two days in Walla Walla, Washington, located in the southeast corner of the state, where I joined the Washington Grown Flowers Promotion Team at the Washington State Farmers Market Association Conference. The flower promotion effort was funded by a USDA specialty crop block grant and is being jointly administered by the Washington State Department of Agriculture's Regional Markets Program and the Washington State Farm Bureau. Those groups invited me to co-present about my slow flowers insights, as well as about local flower promotion strategies for farmers market managers. What a great opportunity to bring local and seasonal flowers to the forefront of the farmers market world. Thanks to Laura Reidenauer and Laura Raymond of WSDA and to Suzanne Carson of the Farm Bureau for including me in this program and to Emily Asmus of Welcome Table Farm, my co-presenter, who was super inspiring as a local flower farmer, sharing great advice about seasonality and best practices for farmer's market managers who may not be as familiar with floral crops as they are with food crops. While in Walla Walla, I also had time to visit Golson Gardens, owned by Slow Flowers member Elaine Vandiver and her husband Mike. Golson Gardens is a small 10-acre farm located in southeastern Washington State in the quintessential rural community of Walla Walla. Mike and Elaine are both U.S. Army veterans turned first-generation farmers. As they share on their website, with no previous agriculture experience, we purchased the farm in May of 2014 as a way to start anew after learning a traditional family wasn't in the cards for us. We didn't have any immediate plans for the farm, which was mostly in pasture. We simply hoped to enjoy the beautiful red barn, sweeping views of the Blue Mountains from the farmhouse porch, and maybe get some critters to complete the country scene. The story unfolds in my interview recorded in the farmhouse's dining room, where Elaine and I sat comfortably while Mike kept their two greyhound rescue dogs entertained outdoors. This is a very personal, inspiring story for anyone who views growing cut flowers as a new way of life, perhaps as a catalyst for all sorts of change. For Elaine and Mike, growing flowers is the latest chapter of their agricultural lifestyle, one that began with one llama and too many adorable alpacas for me to accurately count, continued to a flower and herb garden to grow plants that produce natural dyes for the wool skeins and garments made with the alpaca fiber, and recently expanded just over a year ago to become a full-fledged cut flower farm. Elaine's narrative on the Golson Gardens website continues. Knowing that the fiber takes two years to bring to market, 
which means one year for the alpacas to grow it and the better part of another year spent professionally milling, knitting, and hand dyeing the fiber. We quickly realized that growing cut flowers could be a great way to diversify the farm. And that's what we did. We sowed our first seeds in late February 2018 and began field production in early May, selling our flowers at the local farmer's market from June through September. We sell primarily at the Walla Walla Downtown Farmer's Market and to a few local florists, but we're also offering a bouquet CSA starting in the spring of 2019. You can find Golson Gardens at the Walla Walla Farmer's Market in 2019 from May through October. I'm so pleased to bring you this interview for many reasons, including how encouraging it is. I have lots of photos of the historic homestead farm to share, as well as irresistible alpaca images and more. You'll want to follow along as Elaine and Mike enter their second season as cut flower growers, so I'll share their social links as well. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm coming to you today from Walla Walla, Washington, and my guest is Elaine Vandiver. Hi, Elaine. Good morning. Hi. We've just had a wonderful visit of your farm, Golson Gardens, and um, your other business is Old Homestead Alpacas, and I'm so happy to be face-to-face with you. We, we originally met when you... M- made a donation to the Slow Flowers podcast last year. Right, That was yeah. so sweet. Oh, well, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so you I appreciate everything you're doing. <laughs> we obviously were listening to it while doing something else, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> so um, now I'm back in Walla Walla. We're going to kind of collaborate on today at a, a conference for farmer's market managers, and it just brought me back, and Elaine invited me to uh, see her farm. Here it is, end of March, but there's stuff in the ground. So give us a snapshot of Golson Gardens and, and like how much land you have and how you know what you've got going on here. So um, our total acreage is just under 10, Okay, and we are on the state line of... Yeah, literally, Oregon's across the street. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's always kind of a surprise for folks. Um, we're straddling that over here. So, um, so yeah, 10 acres, um, most of which is in pasture uh, for our alpaca herd, and I've got just about a quarter acre uh, in production for cut flowers. Wow, wow. Yeah. And the alpacas came first... But that, how did that, you know, uh, how did you move the alpacas over and made make room for flowers? So yeah, the alpacas came first. Um, I started raising them with really no dream of becoming an alpaca rancher. It was just kind of like, oh, let's get, we, we have some acreage. We've got beautiful pastures. Um, so we got a few to kind of, uh, eat on the, the, the beautiful grass we were able to grow out here. That was cheaper than buying a tractor. It was, we had no money for a tractor at the time. (laughs) Um, and so, um, started growing, uh, their fiber. Okay. And, um, and their wool is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's soft. It's very, very natural. Um, it's, it's the product of grass and water really. Um, and so in learning how to process their fiber, um, I had seen a lot of people dyeing fiber, and I just didn't want to take such a nice natural fiber and then put some acid dyes on them. Mm. And that happens. Yeah, and and nothing against that, but that was just something that I didn't want to do because I spent all this time growing it as naturally as possible, so I learned about natural dyeing. And there's a whole host of people out there doing botanical plant-based dyeing, which I thought was fascinating. Mm. So I started growing probably in 2014, growing dye plants because I learned I was buying most of my dye stuff online, extracts and so forth. Because there's this whole like fiber community of resources and Oh yeah, suppliers and, and it's a beautiful industry. Oh yeah, and it's a vibrant industry mm-hmm. and a, a real kick in the pants too. Mm-hmm. But wait, you folks. weren't in, a, into fiber crafts before this, right? Like knitting or anything? No, not oh. really at all. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just take it as it comes. <laughs> yeah. So once I started growing the fiber, I'm, what do I do with it? I learned to knit, and then I started to learn to dye. Um, and then once I learned, once you start buying a lot of the dye product online, and it's marigold, calendula, uh, coreopsis, and I did a little research, and those grow very well here. We're zone 7A, it's a pretty versatile They're zone. They're annuals, right? Yeah, yeah, very easy to grow, very prolific. 
Um, so I started growing dye plants hmm. a couple years back and did some dyeing workshops and just largely used it for myself. I freeze it, I dry it. Um, and every fiber harvest I have each year, I dye a portion of it. Um, and just was really enjoying that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then decided, you know, how can I make this more of a thing here? I'm already growing flowers. So I wonder if I can just grow some other flowers for the table. And that's kind of where it started. Mm. Uh, You still weren't thinking about uh, a commercial venture then at that point. It was just more like, oh, I can cut some flowers, take them to the office, have them in my kitchen, that sort of thing? Yeah, pretty much. Um, So with the alpaca fiber, it takes about two years to get to market. Um, And I was doing that as a commercial business, and I still am. And and how many alpaca animals do you have? I have roughly 25. I'd have to do another count. Yeah, we just visited them. They're sweet animals. (laughs) They are. They have such personalities. I know. Each one of them has their own unique ism, and I can recognize each one even at a distance just by some of the mannerisms. So you, yeah, so you were saying it takes two years. So why is that? Um, So it's one year spent growing it. So we get one fiber harvest a year. And then Mm. uh, the balance of the next year spent having um, mini mills actually spin the fiber into yarn and then having it made into garments and then me to dye it. So start to finish at least two years before it hits the market generally. And then I usually spend another six to eight months marketing it because if it hits the market in July, not a lot of people are buying hats and mittens and scarves in right. July. So can I just stop you for one second? Um, the garments are right now you have on, you have them on your website for uh, old homestead alpacas, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. So what's your range of products that you're selling? So I have a few styles of hats. I have fingerless mittens. I have little cowls and then I have some scarves. Uh-huh. And your, your cowl that you're wearing is vivid orange. Yes. So, from Coriopsis. Okay. Yeah. So these you you make you have the garments made before you do the dyeing. Yes. Okay, so I didn't know about that either. Yep, because um, we have the um, yarn made and it comes on cones several tens of thousands of yards. Wow. It just, my little setup, as you saw, I, I can't do that kind of dyeing on of yarn. Plus it needs to be a very, very... Um, uh, very fine yarn, so it would tangle very easily. So you don't want to process that before you and then actually knit it. It would just get tangled in the dyeing uh, process. It would get. It would. Be, I see. It would be a mess. I see. Um, so you you work with a mill to make the yarn, and then you work with a, a knitting factory to make the garments. That's correct. Okay, but yep. you're doing all the designs, and you found small vendors who do the production. for That's you. correct. Yep. And I was very fortunate. This this. The whole run of um, knitwear that I have is 100% Washington made. How neat. And at the time I had it made, it was all within 100 miles of this farm. It wow. was spun at a mill that was located at the time in Sunnyside, which is the Yakima Valley. Right. And then it was knit um, in uh, Kennewick in the Tri-Cities. Wow. So within 100 miles of the farm. And then dyed here, right? And then here? dyed here using the flowers that, that we grew. Yeah. Wow. Um, your, so you're marketing on your website, but you're also, you that, did that, is that what got you to the farmer's market? Um, well, actually, what got me to the farmer's market was this past year. I didn't actually sell um, the any of my stuff oh. in previous years. Oh. I did towards the end of 2018 mm. as the season cooled. Um, I sold there, but I primarily just sold everything online okay. for the fiber. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, the only other thing I noticed when we went into your little shop and I'll, I'll put, share photos of your adorable shop, which is like in the old milk house, right? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you had some skeins that were already dyed. So is oh, that yes. a different way to sell? No. And I actually, um, yeah, I do, um, have hand knitting and crochet yarns made. It's a, a thicker yarn. Some, than, yep. Yeah. I have a whole range. I, there was only a portion of it in there. We actually have a local yarn shop in town, Pearl Two Walla Walla, um, a lovely woman owned business. Uh, and they carry the the bulk of my my knitting yarns. You'll definitely have to check out their shop oh, while you're oh here. Gosh. It's adorable. So people who are into knitting are really particular about um, the, this. Would be like an artisan quality. Yarn. Oh yes, wow. Yes, and local and yeah. Oh how cool. Yeah, so they have they have primarily my my whole line there, and it's like runs the whole rainbow. Yeah. So you have this business going, and then the flowers kind of encroached on your psyche a little bit. And what happened there? 
Yep. So, well, I, I kind of got bit by the farming bug. I really enjoy working with the alpaca, being outside. Um, I enjoyed marketing them. Um, but truthfully, it took a long time to get the sales going. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to spend more time here. And so the only way I knew how to spend more time here was to, to, to make more of a living out of it. Because hmm. you had an off-farm job. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I kind of was just, I knew my limitations with fiber were time. Yeah. Um, it's a very niche market. It's a, a different price point. Um, so I kind of, I just, I really wanted to find a way to diversify. Yeah. Um, and then my neighbor across the street, um, needed some help selling watermelons at another farmer's market. Um, so he enlisted me to help and I was happy to do so. And it really opened my eyes because I came at it from a fiber producer perspective. Now I'm selling melons. We would pull up to the market and there would be a line waiting. Um, and those suckers would just fly off the back of his trailer. Wow. And it was just like a, like a total epiphany for me. It was like, wow, you know, it's a, it's a perishable product in a price range that most people can reach that people want. That's delicious. That looked great. Super Um, seasonal. Super seasonal. Yep. Cause melons don't usually come on until early July. Um, so the local melon is like the most flavorful probably compared to get in January from who knows where? Yes. Yeah. And you can get like a 20 pound melon for five bucks. Wow. Yeah. And so I sold melons in 2016 for him <laughs> and it was the coolest thing. It was like, it was like, wow, check this out. You show up and you have a product and people buy it. And I wasn't used to that because mine is, like I said, a very niche product and a higher price point, a lot longer process. <laughs> yeah. and No it, instant gratification it, with alpacas. Right. And so and as much as I love them and I'm still doing it, it was like, wow, I wish I could had something that I could sell on a seasonal basis at, at a, at a, at a more attainable price point for, mm-hmm. for regular folks and, you know, your neighbors. Yeah. And so I, I mean that, that experience that one season, just helping him on the Wednesday market, um, really changed things for me. And I kind of just took it to heart and really thought, well, what can I do? And I'm out in the greenhouse kicking around things and literally literally stumbling over boxes of seeds instead of putting them away <laughs> and picked, I love that yeah, and then I, you know it lit, it was like the universe was like nudge 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 smack <laughs> yeah, like a high five to the face you know and Elaine, we're here <laughs> yeah it was like seeds and it was literally a box of zinnia uh, uh, seeds that spilled out at my feet and I was kind of like what if I did cut flowers Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where that idea got planted was selling melons and, and realizing that, you know, I'm already growing flowers. Well, you're growing flower. You have a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. You're starting plants in flats for your dye plants, right? And you're moving them from the greenhouse up to these raised beds. Right. So you have this sort of, in a way you had the workflow even in place. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a lot of kind of I had some initial infrastructure, yeah. if you will. And you've made some changes. Yeah, yeah, I've we've definitely made some changes, but like I kind of had it was a low barrier to entry at that point because I'd already had some of the stuff you needed to get started. So I figured, why why not? And so that's what I did in 2017. I just did yeah. a row of zinnias. Okay, and zinnias yeah. don't have a do they have any value as a dye flower? Um. Not, not really. Okay. And I have others that give better quality, but they're kind yeah. of grown the same way as a marigold would be grown, or absolutely, or calendula would be grown. Right. You just yeah. sow the seeds and cut and come again. Wow. Kind. Yeah. Wow. So was that your first crop of just zinnias? Yeah, or? I did zinnias. I did slosia. I did some really funky uh, sunflowers. I mm. had some bells. That was probably the best year for bells of Ireland. I didn't really try, and they did it themselves. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I just took them to the office with me. I brought them into the house, shared them with friends, just kind of kicked it around to see, is this, is this something I like? You weren't even trying to sell them in 17? No. uh -uh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So last year was your first full season. Last year was my first full season. How how did it go? It was wonderful. I mean, it exceeded my expectations on so many levels. Um, I was super nervous to do it um, because I had never 
you know, like I done melons, obviously, but like <laughs> slightly different. Yes, kind of raised yes, a melon. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the only thing is I I didn't really you know I didn't know how to put flowers together really. Mm. Um, I did take the floret online course. I took a lot of uh, online tutorials mm-hmm. and so forth to kind of make learn how to make market bouquets. Really, like you know how to do the research. Yeah, yeah, and and also just because Walla Walla is a little bit isolated from. Most of the cut flower growing in Washington State is happening west of the Cascades, up and down the I-5 corridor. Like, there's a lot of people who can help each other over there. Who's, you know, who's here to help you? You don't have a lot of community. Yeah, and it's really hard to kind of seek that help out when you're working a job, raising a herd of alpacas, (laughs) doing all the things. So it was a lot of, like, you know, just... The only time I had was late late at night. And then you go online. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, So... You you didn't have trouble getting into the Walla Walla Farmers Market, or how did that come? Is that kind of your first obvious outlet? That was, um, yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a pretty. I think we're going into our twenty third year. Okay. I think. I mean, Walla Walla is. It, tell people what kind of community it is here. If you haven't heard, it's kind of a, a hot tourist spot. Right? It is, yeah, and it's a very big agricultural town. Um, we've got several um, universities here, um, so it draws in a nice young population. A lot of wine, so we get lots of wine tours. That's what I. That's what I know it for. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So getting into the um, the market was not hard. It's a it's a very well established market. There's a few other growers, uh, flowers there, lots of veggies, lots of crafts, lots of high skill artisans mm-hmm. and. It's a maker um, market. Yeah, yeah, well, and it's a producer market too. Okay. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty fantastic market. I couldn't ask for a better market wow. to have started at. So yeah. you started. You said you started a little bit later in the season last year because you just had to get enough product to yeah. bring in, right? Yeah, I was hopeful to get in right when they opened in May, but um, you know, learning curve. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get in until like mid June, um, but it was great. You know, the first few markets you know, always super nervous. I think I was nervous every single market <laughs> up until like, the very end. Like, like what, will anybody buy these? Like, what, what did you take? Like, what were your original things that you took? Um, so it was a lot, well, a lot, like, like a lot of calendula, a lot of herbs, mm. um, a lot of, a lot of my dye plants, my mm. early season dye plants, the chamomiles, the, uh, the, uh, cosmos, the coreopsis. But you were selling like Grower bunches yes. of those varieties. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, and a lot of people would come by my stand and say, "Oh, these are beautiful wildflowers." And <laughs> like, you know, they're not wild; they grew them. <laughs> yeah. But that's the that's the kind of emotion that they yeah. evoke. Very kind of loose and um, untrained, I guess, is the way yeah, I would. But it, it was people were responding to it. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of good feedback. Yeah. I, so the nerves kind of went away after that. Yeah, I'm mean, not gonna lie. I was. I mean, you know, I felt like I was a. You know, I'm gonna be next to these real farmers you know here I am with my little setup and my little wildflower looking things Um, so I was nervous every single week but it was a good nervous like you know and I left the market every week just feeling great because I got a lot of good feedback and it was fun it was a lot of fun yeah and at some point you started doing market bouquets or when did you kind of mix it up and create you know a, a designed product. Well, you know, I always considered everything I brought was kind of my version of a market bouquet. Oh, okay. Whatever I had in, in in growing in terms of your presentation. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And what is that presentation? Oh, that's a good question. You have labels, right? Um. Yeah. So I I um I did plastic sleeves. Okay. Um. So it wouldn't drip on folks, but I didn't have anything sleeved in the in the buckets. Oh. I just I had a few bouquets in each bucket. Um, and I've got this old uh, vintage um, Studebaker truck bed trailer. <laughs> you showed it to me. It's so cute. And it's it, like it's very end, practical. It's like the back end of, a, of an old truck, right? Yes. Okay, with like one wheel on each side, like one, one axle. One axle. Okay, so yep. how did you convert that to your stand? So uh, my husband found it in a field, kind of decaying, with that perfect like patina that you you can only strive for with the paint kind of chipping off it's kind of like a you were saying like an old tiffany box or a Robin's yeah blue. yeah yeah it's um and so it was it was converted it like had this um wood it was built up somebody had made it into like a chicken coop and so it had all this chicken wire and lots of debris and stuff and it was literally dying in a field and we just took off all the dirt and the chicken wire, put a roof on it, and then like a little awning that I can open and close, and I sit in it and sell out of it. And I 
have all my display stuff in it, and then I put the flowers in in the in the rig on the way over, oh, so they're not getting funny. blown. Up. So you yeah. drive that behind your van yeah. to the market, and then it stand. It doesn't tilt or anything. It stands in place because yeah. it's got a brace or. or a, yeah, we use some oh. little. We have some bottle jacks to kind of keep it uh-huh. from. Because I do get in and out of it quite a bit. Yeah, because people, it's almost like you're the, the, like the ice cream vendor. Yes, like People exactly. come to the window and, and pick up their flowers. Yeah, I have, the, I have displays in front of it. They just pick whichever one they want. They hand it to me. I put a sleeve in it so it doesn't drip on them, and just off like, they go. Just, and I have a sticker on that sleeve. Yeah, yeah so. and, and just like selling those watermelons. It's, it's yeah. mostly cash, right? Yes. I'm sure you have to have a square. and. Oh, yeah, I do. Cards. Yeah, but it, yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked about you having two businesses, the old Alpa- old homestead alpaca and then Golson Gardens. Can you talk about where that name Golson Gardens came from? And, you know, did that come right when you launched the flowers? Like that was sort of an intentional second business name, right? It was, yes. So when we purchased the property in 2013, uh, the gal we purchased it from, she, she told us that this used to be an old homestead. And mm-hmm. I was not super familiar with what that meant. But she provided us some paperwork um, that really kind of opened my eyes quite a bit. And yeah. it was the paperwork, um, copies of it, mm-hmm. um, from 1870 showing um, how it was homesteaded, um, where you had to basically um, find a plot of land that was available, petition to homestead it, pay a small fee, and then for five continuous years had to live on the land, cultivate it all, and build a home. And then after five years, if you could prove you did it, you could own it. The state or the federal government. The federal government. Yeah, the Homestead Act of 1862. Wow. Yeah, and so she handed us this packet of paperwork that showed a Nathaniel S. Golson that did that very thing in 1870. Um, And he became the owner of this property in 1875. Wow. It was originally 164 acres and we're on the the, the remaining 10. With, with the, the this is was his house then. We're yes, it's the in. original house. The house our deed says it was built in 1901. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's just when somebody wrote it down. Yeah. Uh, because we've done a quite a bit of renovation and we've I peeled know. back enough layers to know it's probably a little bit before that. He he had a very small home here originally that we saw on the documents a very like 16 by 20 very okay. tiny home and then built this house this is cool and it's probably like a lot of farmhouses like maybe additions were popped on over time or yeah we've got one addition that was done in the 70s i believe oh really yeah but everything else is as it was yeah, i mean the original the woodwork floors, is amazing wood ceilings yeah no we have no lath and plaster all of all of its true wood framed wow. that was milled on site wow yeah that's so cool yeah so it was, it's fitting that old, old homestead alpacas was that first business name but golson gardens is like an homage to the original homesteaders yeah, yeah. i love that i thought you know that was that was a natural uh name for us because i just had to pay respects to that and it's part of your story then yeah. and, and people in walla walla are still as you said so agriculturally minded and they, they value that story. Yeah. Um, your As your business is moving forward to be more flower-focused, um, I'm curious about your plans for 2019 because you're kind of, you've got stuff ready to, ready to go. You've been sewing. You said yesterday was the warmest day of the year so far. So you're rolling your sleeves up. Are you going to change or expand what you're growing? Um, I'm hoping to... Um... To kind of uh, get into the market, hopefully in May. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if that'll happen yet. When is the first day? Like right before it's the day? very uh, like May fourth. Oh, okay. yeah, it's every Saturday. You'll um, have something. I hope so. I hope it's enough. Either way, I'll be there because I am going to bring the alpaca fiber and garments because mm. I like to uh, make that available because it's still usually pretty cool in the mornings and the People evenings. People still need their scarves, yeah, and their, their fingerless gloves, yeah. yeah. So I'll, um, but I'm hoping to have a, a good little bit of flower offerings early like your maybe anemones or something early. yeah and i'm going to be putting some new ranunculus in the ground hopefully in the next couple days to replace the crap i lost over the winter but wow yeah sorry yeah beginnerhood do you um do you have florists in the market who would, would buy direct from you or what, yeah, what's actually, that going to be like yeah we've got several um small florists in town um 
my very first customer and my best customer all year, Melissa Fortin of Purely Petals. She does a floral subscription, beautiful arrangements. Oh, neat. Um, so Melissa's been my go-to florist. So there's a few others in town as well. So they value that you're their local flower. Oh, flower. yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. They're definitely all about the local yeah. uh, and fresh. And that could really grow because if there's wineries here, I'm sure there's a lot of weddings here. Yes. And she does do weddings. She does um, arrangements for wineries as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So. Do you have any desire to get into that side of the business? No, you know, like I'm, I'm just happy if I can make a, a decent looking market bouquet. That's really <laughs> where I'm at. I, I enjoy the growing and the selling at the market. Um, I did one wedding uh, over this past year, and it was perfect for me. It was an elopement in the backyard, in somebody's backyard on like a Wednesday. Got that. Uh, yep. And it was a flower crown, a bouquet, and a boutonniere, and it still stressed me out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be in charge of ruining somebody's day, yeah, you know? But that scale of, of yeah. spontaneity is really lovely. Yeah. And that was within my skill set. I enjoyed that. But, you know, I like the growing. Um, that's really where my heart is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you envision um, opportunities to bring people to the farm here with a flower theme? Because I know you've done some workshops on the fiber side. Yes, actually, I am planning to do a petals and pekkas uh, event. Oh my god! And how so cute. my hope is to do flower crowns and then little photo shoots with the alpacas. Oh, how fun! If they'll cooperate, yeah, that's that's my hope. I'm kind of targeting that around August. Oh my gosh, please let me know about yes, that. Yes, for that sure. just such a cute idea. And it kind of weaves together your two loves. And you have some, do you have photos of your alpacas wearing flowers? I feel like I, I don't, I but I'm going to, to try. I've got a couple agreeable alpacas that I think would stand for it. Or and, collars even. Oh yeah, I could do that. Like I've seen people do that to their pets. So yeah. their dogs. Oh yeah. Maybe yeah. not your cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, before we wrap up, I want people, if you're willing to tell your story sure. of how you got to here to Walla Walla, what your first career was. And I, I just think I want to, um, I want to have people hear your personal journey of, of, I don't know, the path you took. So yeah, fabulous. It, it was kind of a winding road. Um, <laughs> I definitely didn't grow up on a farm. So I would consider myself a first-generation yeah, farmer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband and I were both in the Army, um, and he is still in the National Guard. But So we were stationed at Port Louis. I did a uh, brief stint overseas in Iraq for a little bit. And then we came home, and then we vacationed to Walla Walla several times. Um, and I just found it to be an adorable little town and I and, still do. And when you say Fort Lewis, so just so people know, that's sort of just south of Tacoma, oh, yes. Seattle, Tacoma area, Western Washington. That Were you based there your whole time in the army? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yep. So you kind of were already in the Northwest in, for that reason. And then Walla Walla is about, it's on the opposite side of the state. Yeah. Basically. It's about five hours okay. drive, 200 and some miles. And yeah. But you came here for vacation and you kind of yeah, you didn't think, oh, I'll live here someday. Well, I always hoped, but I just was like, how could you know? Like, well, I don't know what I would do there. You yeah. know, like I'm not a farmer and I'm not a winemaker. And um, yeah. but we, um, so we were, we got out of the military. We started working for the army as civilians. Kept coming to Walla Walla. We walked around enough, and I found the Army Corps of Engineers office, um, and that surprised me. Yeah, um, and so. Well, that's Army. I'm in the Army still, you know, as a civilian. So we applied for jobs out here, and I think it was just the universe was agreeable to that. And we both got transferred here. Wow. And uh, we moved out here in August of 2008. Wow. So just 10 years. Yeah. And so we bought a a big home in town and planned to do the family thing. And we went through quite a bit of infertility mm, treatments. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, it was part of the journey, though. Yeah. Um, so coming out of that, um, it was kind of a, okay, now what are we going to do? You know, because you spend so much time and energy focused on a certain goal. Yeah. And kind of come out the other end not having achieved it. Yeah. What do you pivot to? Yeah. And it was, you know, I was living, it was a beautiful home and I loved it in a neighborhood of growing families. Yeah. And so... Get away from that. Yeah, we just kind of needed, I needed a place to kind of regroup and kind of reset and refocus and find a new goal and a new dream. And so to us, that was, let's get some acreage. (laughs) We didn't want to leave Walla Walla because we just love this area. Um, And so we found this farm um, and we really had no plans 
at all. It was just, let's get a project, and this house is a project. That was This house is a project. Uh, Was it in need of some TLC? A lot. Yeah, it was uh, pretty country fabulous. Wow. Yeah. Pretty what? Country fabulous. (laughs) But you also said that the barn was like, they had me at, they had you at the barn. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous, old, original, big red barn that reminded me of Indiana. Yeah. Which Um, is where you're from originally. Yeah. That barn is iconic. I took some photos and I'll I'll share them on our show notes because it's just, it real and it says old homestead alpaca right on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's sort of an interesting, um, trajectory that I was, I was, a I, I wanted to honor and support in that you're part of this veteran farmer organization. What's that called? Oh, yeah, the Farmer Veterans Coalition. Okay, yeah. um, And so it's like a nonprofit organization that really um, is there to inspire and encourage uh, service members to, to choose careers in agriculture and showing that, that those are worthwhile, um, sustainable careers. And when you get out of uh, a military uh contractor or or yeah, when you get out yeah when you get out when of the service retire. and yeah. a lot of folks um especially those that have been deployed like myself find a lot of comfort in actually working the land and growing things and animals um so it's a it's kind of a mentoring um it's a it's a network if you yeah. will to to just encourage uh military veterans to to take up jobs in ranching and agriculture that's so cool yeah. and i asked you if there were any flower firms that farmers in that group and you said you didn't know if you were if you might be the only one. So. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, well, I know the... there's another alpaca farmer in it. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, a while ago, not that long ago, you sent me a really cute email about um, your big success from last year. And that was um, being able to spend the money that you raised last year selling flowers on something you needed for the farm. And I don't know, somehow the podcast worked into that, I guess, because you were just listening to the podcast. Tell I, me that story. Yep. So at the end of the season, um, the old van I was using to pull my flower cart, which was my mother's old van, mm. um, was really starting to become not so reliable. And it got me through the season, but I didn't, I knew it would, it wouldn't get me through Oh, because you're one. pulling this half Studebaker wagon behind it or yes. cart behind it. Okay. Yep. So the flowers go in the van, which is really nice with the sliding door. But it wasn't going to make it for the next year. So with my the proceeds of this last, my very first um, market season, I was able to buy a newer, older van um, that I got in Tri-Cities off of Craigslist. Awesome. Like a, like a smoking grandma deal like it had been garaged only went to church and the grocery store <laughs> at 90,000 miles on a 2003 it's yeah. fantastic you know, it's got sliding doors on each side <laughs> it's meant for you yeah and tinted windows and it runs great and yeah I listened when I went to pick it up um I listened to that current episode of the podcast the whole hour drive home and it was just like a you know one of the yeah, I had a moment you know where it was just like wow this you know I couldn't have asked for a better first year that's awesome yeah. I love that story and you're getting ready for a great second year I know I'm, I'm really super excited I wish you a lot of success and I will make sure we'll share some photos cool I took photos today but you have some photos from last season that you can maybe oh, yes. share yeah, sure. and um, I'd love to um, encourage people to check out what Elaine's doing with her alpacas too, because that the wool is beautiful. And the fact that you're doing fiber dyeing is, and, and also natural dyes, cause you buy some prod, some dyes like the indigo, mm-hmm. like that's got, it, it's like so popular right now. People want to know that this is natural and not a chemical based product. I mean, that's just part of your story too. Right. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, I, we're going to go um, teach the farmer's market managers a little bit about how to have support flower farming at their markets statewide so we'll do thanks for saying you'll help me with that yes i'm so excited to be involved great thanks a lot elaine i really enjoyed this much for joining me on this slow flowers journey as I seek new and inspiring voices, people with passion, heart, commitment, and expertise to share with you. I hope today's episode gave you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise. What you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else. 
My time in Walla Walla allowed me to connect with so many fabulous people in the farmer's market community, people who are excited to bring the story of locally grown flowers to their customers across the state. I will share more in the coming months about the exciting Washington Grown Flowers Project as I believe it can be a great template for anyone to bring to the Department of Agriculture or Farm Bureau agencies in their state. As I said, more to come soon. Our second sponsor spotlight today includes a thanks to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. Our 50 States of Slow Flowers series continues today with Idaho and our special guests, Ralph Thurston and Jerry Ann Sabin of Deadhead Cut Flowers. Ralph and Jerry Ann are past guests of this podcast, but so much in their lives has changed with the sale of Bindweed Flower Farm to their nephew in 2017. I'll share a link to our 2016 interview in our show notes. That occasion was the publication of their book, Deadhead. Last year, Ralph authored All Pollen, No Petal, Behind the Flower Farming Dream, and we talk a little about its message in today's conversation. You'll also want to check out links to these two gifted and inspiring local flower pioneers and all their projects. Their second annual Deadhead Cut Flowers Bindweed Farm Flower Growing School takes place on May 1st and 2nd, and it is so incredibly priced, I know you'll want to take advantage of their collective wisdom and treat yourself to amazing education. Jamie Rogers of Killing Frost Farm in Missoula, Montana is a bonus instructor, and he'll wow you with sales and marketing know-how as well. I wish I could be there. Let's jump right in. So excited today to continue our 50 states of slow flowers uh, storyline for the year, our theme for 2019, with my friends Jerry Ann Sabin and Ralph Thurston of Deadhead Cut Flowers in Idaho. You're going to have to like speak on behalf of the whole state, but welcome. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you. Uh, and Jerry Ann, you're there, right? Hi. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, hey, uh, you, a lot of people uh, in the in the ASCFG crowd and in the uh, design world know uh, about the two of you because you've been farming for a long time in southeast Idaho. And um, I, we've had you on the podcast in the past, which is really fun talking about um, your last book that I guess you co- co-authored, but we'll talk about books in a second. Can you just give us a snapshot of what's going on with Deadhead Cut Flowers now, You know where you are and, and what you're doing in your business? Well, we sold the actual farm to our nephew, and he's still running Bindweed Farm, and then we spun off Deadhead Cut Flowers, and we're doing mostly uh, consulting and some farm schools just to show people how it works on a day-to-day basis. And uh, also, I'm kind of interested in resurrecting some varieties that are really good cut flowers, but for some reason, the industry isn't offering. So uh, we're going to work on that. Ooh, ooh. Okay, let's put a pin in that. I want to come back to that. Um, you're, you're, you sold the farm two years ago, right? So this is your second year of not being tied to bindweed. Am I correct on that? Yes, we we worked, we helped uh, the first year, we basically did the same thing we always did, and uh, then last year was the first year that we were just Gladys Kravitz and and (laughs) looking at things and tearing tearing how the new guy's doing it apart. Oh my gosh, because you're still kind of living right by the farm, right? Yeah, we get to see what's going on every day. So, mm. and then Jerry Ann, um, you're really uh, th- has this freed you up to spend more time with your two loves, yoga and art. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I just got back from Thailand. I was there for three weeks studying Thai yoga massage, which is awesome. Wow! So it doesn't leave a lot of time for flowers, but living here, like I go out at least. Well, I'm out every day, but I go out at least once a week and just kind of quality control, just the trying to keep things up to snuff. Okay. You mean just like kind of uh, eyeballing what, where everybody, what every flower is doing and how it's, how happy it is. 
Well, more in the barn, you know, just and sales. Yeah, just yeah. kind of keeping tabs on my clients. Oh, they're still my clients in my head and in my mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but just making sure that things are top notch and running the way they ought to be. Wow, that's a, it's a wonderful when I guess when you can be. Uh, Sort of, it's like having grandchildren, I guess. You can choose when to be, engage and when <laughs> <laughs> and when not to, right? Yes, stepping in, stepping out, <laughs> stepping in, stepping out. Well, Idaho farming is, you know, I think a not for the faint of heart. And I just love to get a little bit of a, a perspective from both of you on like why you were so enduring. How many years did you have Findweed Farm? Oh, it was close to 25 years. Jeez. And so, uh, you know, it was a learn-as-you-go type of thing because, let's face it, agricultural extension services aren't really set up for that sort of thing. No, not for flowers at least, right? No. Yeah. So so you, we and we've I've interviewed you before, and I'll put a link to our, our past interview, but uh, you kind of, when you say make it up as you go along, over time, you kind of defined how, you know, like best practices, like how to grow in the high, high desert with a short season, right? Yeah, you have to, you try everything because no one knows. Advice is only general. Mm-hmm. Or in a book, mm-hmm. uh, you have to try everything for your soil and see if you can grow it in your conditions, and then if you can sell it in your con- market conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that even changes. It's just like fashion. You know, there are things, there are flowers coming back in that <laughs> we laugh at every time we see them because they went out as we were going in. <laughs> I love how you mentioned in your, so, and we might as well jump to talking about uh, your second, well, your first book was called Deadhead, uh, correct? Yes. Uh, and that was, that was, I don't even know how to describe that book. It was really, you have a lot of devotees who love your Frank writing and the way the two of you uh, kind of tell the same story different ways. <laughs> the, um, all pollen, no petal. Uh, Behind the Flower Farming Dream by Ralph Thurston. This came out last year, right, Ralph? Yes. And, yes. and you have a story in here about a client who hung, or a customer who hung on to her dried flowers so long that they went out of fashion and then came back into fashion because she still had them. Is that kind of what you're alluding to? Well, uh, yeah. In fact, she was kind of a bellwether for us because we knew if she was getting into it that it was time to get out. <laughs> And if she was getting out, it was time to get in. <laughs> okay, so uh, you that you do you, do you agree that like pres- uh, preserved and and everlasting uh, dried flowers that kind of is a, an emerging category again, correct? Yeah, I do think so. I mm-hmm. and it's just it was the fun actually much more fun than growing fresh flowers because you're not on the perishable schedule so much and it, uh, everything's not so immediate and urgent. Mm-hmm. And it's so perfect for people with short growing seasons. It is a season season extension tool uh, to create revenue in the middle of winter, right? Yeah, it's it's extraordinary, and you can uh, work with. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much the craft industry has been overwhelmed by chain stores or not. But if if it's not chains, even chains are willing to uh, buy buy from local growers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It, and there's, there also is sort of this um, realness about dried flowers that you're never going to have with like, what do they call like permanent botanicals? Like, you know, <laughs> they're not even, they're not even silk flowers anymore, right? They're polyester. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, so um, from a Jerry Ann, you always have worn the designer hat. How is it to design with dried flowers? I mean, did you experiment with that in your business and your, your, oh, yeah. That's how we started, and it was, you know, purely by accident. If you read the first book, Deadhead, you'll get all this stuff. But seriously, we were just uh, broadcasting anything, you know, seed of any kind that we could to see what would grow. And Ralph said, well, I'm going to grow these dried flowers. If you want to dry them, I had a small studio in Blackfoot, and I had an outlet to sell things. So the first thing I started designing with were dried flowers, and they're so great because me and a hot glue gun, (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> so easy, you know, and, and any dummy can do it. And of course, I had this background in art, so I understood color and balance and, you know, flip through Martha Stewart and country living and then come home and just design away. Mm-hmm. And so I had 
wreaths and different things. And it just exploded from there. So they're super, super friendly, super easy to work with. Yeah, it's kind of a neat uh, product, too, that you can sell fresh. And then yeah. instead of throwing everything in the compost heap, you can dry and, and use for value-added products later. Absolutely. And so that's kind of the back door we entered in. Mm. And when you are, I know you're um, still in touch with your clients and you feel like they're clients for life. Can you kind of give us a snapshot of what's happening in the uh, Southeast Idaho into Wyoming market? I mean, you're real, you really sold into the luxury markets of Jackson Hole and um, what was the other town? Um, Sun, Valley. Sun Valley. Yeah. I mean, is that still, are they still really oh. hot and hot and going? So hot, so hot and so huge. And it's been really interesting because we laugh. We're so old that we were cutting edge before there was an edge, you yeah. know, this whole local thing. You know, nobody knew what slow, no one knew what slow food was when we started. Yeah, you were such so, early adopters. You, you blazed the trail for people like me. I love it. I don't know if we blazed it for anybody, but we were blazing. <laughs> but it's really interesting now because um, I, I'm not quite in touch with everything that's happening, but I know that my clients are super, super busy. And oftentimes they will have requests. They do not know who we are, but they do know that we're local. And so they're asking, okay, we've got uh, clients coming in, they're doing this big destination wedding and they want to use all local product. Okay, here you go. So people are talking about green weddings and not meaning just the color, right? but you know, being green and local. And that's just sort of a watchword. So it's, um, we're still really in demand, shall we say, especially in the um, resort areas. Now we do a small bit of local um, at more of what I want to say, just kind of mom and pop, you know, the florists that are up and down the valley here. Sure. Um, our nephew has really cultivated them and brought in some um, really nice grocery store, um, an independent grocery store connection that's been really good. And What's really funny is now the local people are talking about, okay, we need local flowers. And so I have a feeling that uh, in five years, it's kind of going to go away because oftentimes, you know, when the, when, when a fad or a trend finally hits our area, it's sort of fading. Oh, right. Because you think you're kind of uh, a little bit of that, middle market where things kind of start on the fringe and make their way to the mainstream. Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, I hope that's not true. I hope it just becomes yet another product that, uh, or another market of people who've discovered local flowers. I mean, your product, I hate to even use that word, your flowers, your varieties, your botanicals, everything that you've grown that I've seen is so unique and different than what can be shipped in that I, I mean, maybe the term will be different, but the, yes. the beauty is still there. Yeah. Let me, yeah. Let me just um, clarify there. I think people will always want high value and high quality product and you can't get anything like that unless you're getting from a local producer. It. Yeah. It's watchword, you know, so the watchword will go around and it may become something really, really huge and it may kind of fake, but people will always demand the quality. And if you're in the know, then you know where to get the Got good it. quality. Got it. Yeah. Um, so you're both kind of uh, pursuing these these wonderful roles as mentors and teachers in your own areas. And I want to just before we wrap this up, I want to talk with Ralph about what's happening with the community you've developed around people who've read Deadhead and who are now gobbling up all pollen, no petal, which is really your kind of uh, we talked about before we started recording your tough love letter to people who are dreaming about being flower farmers like you're are you are you mainly doing online coaching or have you had workshops or I know you have a community on Facebook so what what does that look like you know we don't do a lot of consultations unfortunately because I, I think uh, it seems like the people that need consulting are the ones that don't want to pay for it I was just gonna say people probably don't have a budget to work with and they are the ones who need it most yeah, they they want to spend a hundred dollars on grow lights, uh, and yeah. and not on people. It's kind of like uh, the first thing to ever get cut in industry is labor because you can you can get you can cut there. Whereas if you have a machine or something, then you feel like you have something. 
it like a like a hard asset or a, yeah yes. something. Yes. Well, so and I think I think that that is un- sad but true that um, the people who really need your advice are the ones who don't have you know they're kind of bootstrapping it and so that's why they can afford to buy all pollen no petal. Uh, which I'll put the link to uh, in our show notes uh, for today's episode. But then they fi- find you on Facebook, and you dispense a lot of advice and answer questions uh, in this. Is it the is it the Deadhead Cut Flower Community? Yes. Okay. And do people listen to your advice? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's sort of preaching to the choir type of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, it's, you just need to, it's like when you go to a counselor, if they ask the right question, you already have the answer. And Ooh. so you're, you're just doubtful about yourself. And yeah. then all you need is someone else to ask the right question. And you, it's in you. Yeah. I want to call you sensei master. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the truth though. Okay. So we're doing a, a, farm school this May and Jamie Rogers from Killing Frost Farm is coming down. Jamie and I are presenting on marketing and so we're kind of laying out what we want to talk about and what we want to address and one of the things is okay, the big question is especially for beginning farmers, how do you break into the market? How do you make a contact? How do you get clients? And I'm thinking, Jamie and I both laughed. We, everyone knows how you get a client, you approach them and you ask them and you offer them quality product, mm. but no one wants to do that. That's very scary and intimidating. And so it is really preaching to the choir. People know what to do. They just have to be kind of, you, mm. you just got to man up and do it. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that. So you're teaming up with uh, Jamie Rogers from uh, Killing Frost Farm. Is Carly also coming? We hope so, but okay. I know um, it's May. They may have plants to tend to and for sure jamie's coming down we hope we'll get both of them oh cool and what's but the it's presenting what, with us. yeah so i'm sorry i'm gonna cut you off this is you hold this in the big barn that's at bindweed which is a beautiful place for events and workshops right yeah and it's actually my yoga studio but i let deadhead hold uh farm school there got it got it so what's it actually called the workshop uh <laughs> we send you a link actually the inside story yeah the inside story the real deal you know farming real deal and like one of the instagram posts we laid out very strategically our uh income tax returns because and some seed orders and um you know nuts and bolts wow but talking money here how how do you make this thing work how do you create a farm that is um a livelihood and a lifestyle yeah, I think that's the most important thing for all new people is is that a lot of people are selling stuff and they've never actually made a living at it. And I I feel like newcomers are thinking that these new these people that they can copy them. Right. They're not really they can't copy them because that's not what they want to do. They want to make a living. Right. It's just, it's so true. And it's really the, what you lay out at the beginning of all pollen, no petal, Ralph is kind of like, yeah, we all love beauty, but beauty doesn't pay the bills. You got to do the hard work to build a farm and it can be a lifestyle, but it's still hard work. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, I remember being in Ireland, uh, on the coast and it was so beautiful. We were sitting with some locals and, and the guy was nodding. He says, yeah, but you can't sell scenery. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're the restaurant at the top of the Space Needle, probably you can sell that scenery. But it's true. It's like the 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 beauty and the romance and the pretty pictures on Instagram are just like 1% of being a legit, you know, successful flower farmer. And I love that you're going to share, it sounds like very transparently, your your experience with people. Well, I think that's the best way that you can help someone. If you have, if you have experience, and of course our experience is limited. We were fortunate enough to have the resorts. We have this weird, uh, challenging uh, climate to grow in, but we found how to make it work. And so it's nice to share if you can. Great, great. So we'll put links to that. You've posted all the registration information already. It sounds like so. Um, I'll make sure we share that with the listeners so people who really want to, you know, nothing pretty and fancy, just like the <laughs> real deal, come spend time with Ralph and Jerry Ann and Jamie, who's an amazing marketer too. 
I, and I shouldn't say not pretty because it's your farm is beautiful and your flowers are exquisite and it's going to be a feast for the eyes, I'm sure, especially in May when all the spring crops are out. Yeah, we're hoping for good stuff, good weather. Right now we've got snow, so who knows? Wow. Okay. Well, before we go, I want to just ask Ralph, what are the varieties that you're trying to revive that you, you think deserve our attention that you're kind oh, of I, pining for? I've been uh, trying to get people to plant Clematis recta on a huge scale because it, it should be the number one greenery in America. Wow. Because it's long lasting. It, it's, you can fake Jasmine. It's got a beautiful little white flower and it repeat grows as many as three times here in this short season. And so it's like, but it's hard to get people to, when they hear clematis, they just think difficult. Is it um, a shrub clematis or a vining yes. clematis? And there are a number of shrub clematis that really work well. And uh, I mean, all clematis pretty much work, but these are easy if you just have a little bit of support. There's probably seven or eight or, well, probably more bush clematis that really should be staples in the industry. And the growers are not utilizing these. Wow. Wow. Okay, folks, this is the price of admission of listening to today's podcast. You've got a hot tip from Ralph Thurston, and I'm sure that there's some beautiful design tips that Jerry Ann can share uh, along with that. You you really use it for greenery, Jerry Ann? Oh, it's for everything. It is so stable. It's got like this stiff stem, and so you can poke it into anything. You can hydrate it easily, um, and it does have... Um, a beautiful set of flowers at the top, a really nice deep green leaf that's just hearty. I, I find nothing wrong with it. I love it. I love to cut it. I love to use it. And it'll hold really well in your cooler uh -huh. to hold on to it for a little while. Okay. Well, I, I have a trellis that has just lost its winter jasmine because we had crummy winter weather here. And I know what I'm going to replace it with is Clematis recta. Thank you. Were you going to say something else, Ralph? Well, the Clematis recta, I've never seen any pests on it, which is the number, <laughs> which is the number one thing. <laughs> Major. That's awesome. Um, well, listen, I love you guys. I wish I could spend more time with you, but I'm really glad that we could get a little Idaho snapshot here for our series and reintroduce you to listeners who maybe didn't hear the first interview, which was a couple years ago, maybe three years ago. So we'll put a link to that uh, in today, today's show notes too, and also information on how you can order uh, Deadhead and All Pollen, No Petal, the two amazing books by this. Uh, I mean, Jerry Ann, I know your name isn't on the cover of All Pollen, No Petal, but I'm sure you had like editing rights or something, oh. right? I, you know, behind every good man, there is a woman. And I'm sitting right here behind him. <laughs> Thank you both. Anything I didn't ask you that you want to mention? Oh, no, just keep up the good work. And oh. thank you so much for asking us to talk to you today. You bet. I really enjoyed it. And uh, take good care. And hopefully we've, we've gotten more people interested in what you're doing and uh, adding a trip to uh, Blackfoot, Idaho in May. That would be really awesome. Thanks. Thank okay. you. Take care. Bye. Bye. How was this for a bonus segment? Amazing. What a great chance to speak with Elaine at the beginning of her flower farming journey. And then to hear from Jerry Ann and Ralph, who are looking at some of their journey in the rearview mirror while sharing their knowledge and experience, stories and art with the rest of us. Truly, we have a vibrant and vital community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens today. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils 
to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. The Slow Flowers Summit is coming up soon on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. More than half of the registration slots have been grabbed, so don't miss out on this opportunity to join with the Slow Flowers community thinkers and doers in person. One of our past year speakers dubbed the summit a floral mind meld, and I love that concept. Come and be a part of the incredible and uplifting experience. You can make your way to slowflowersummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us. From flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm, to business and branding presentations, to interactive and inspiring design sessions, all created to serve you. Subscribe to Summit News and Updates at slowflowersummit.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 433,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. 